Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, um, uh, good morning, guys. I am so blessed to be speaking to you guys right now. And me and Judy, Judy's in the back with the, the kids at the minute. And she's been a hero this morning taking care of our two kids, Victoria and James. But um, we have felt so welcomed and loved by you guys since joining Thrive. And um, we've been to a lot of churches and I haven't always found that it's, it's uh, the, the amazing things we found here. So I uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're really grateful to be here. We really received well and we look forward to doing that for more people who come in the future. So thank you. And thank you, Kevin and Molly as well. Um, bless you. Okay. Uh, as we were worshipping um, this morning, I don't know if you remember that, that there was that song where the line was, um, I, I'm so bad at worship songs, but it was uh, every desperate need you'll fill Every longing you'll heal. Uh, that's probably not the words. I hadn't heard that one before. Can you put your hand up if you heard that, that song before? Is that a Thrive original or is that something? Okay, okay, yeah. I'm, so I'm really traditional when it comes to hymns and things, so, so, so I'm, I'm learning about this, this new scene. Um, and um, I, was, I was just, as we were singing that, I was prompted. Have you ever heard uh, the phrase or the idea that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts? Um, there are books written about this and it's a wonderful idea and I think there's something really in it and true and you see that across Christians and non-Christians there's so many things in our culture that we're calling out and crying out for you know good fathers uh, love that never ends all those all those things about the gospel um, but I was prompted as we were worshipping and you have to be careful when you're getting up to preach if you worship too much God might speak to you and then you have to change slightly what it is you're about to say and uh, but I was just thinking that there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts but there's also an ollie-shaped hole in the Father's heart. And for us, each one of you, there is a, a, a U-shaped hole in the heart of your Heavenly Father. And if you think, you know, our culture is longing out for goodness and truth and justice and all that love that we missed, um, imagine how much more your Heavenly Father feels about you. Because there's a place in His heart that nobody else can fill. It's your shape. If you're me, it's dad bod shaped and uh, British speaking. But... Uh, yeah, anyway, so I offer that to you this morning, but, um, God-shaped hole, U-shaped hole. Okay, uh, this morning we're looking at the book of Ephesians. If you're like me, whenever everyone gets up to speak about Paul, I get a little bit nervous, because sometimes they can tend to be a little dry. Um, however, hopefully that's not the case. Um, a couple of people very kindly promised to wave at me if I got boring, so uh, <laughs> feel, feel free. <laughs> okay, but as we kind of approach the book of Ephesians... Um, uh, I'm going to want to ask you a question to start. And the question is, is can you take a moment to think about your favorite story? Uh, maybe it's a book or a film or a play or something that's like got a narrative element, a story behind it that you love. Maybe it's something like when you can't find anything to watch on Netflix, it's one of your go-to films that you know you're going to be happy watching. Maybe it's something that has really moved or inspired you as you've read it. You know, some books make you weep with some elements of those stories. But just take a little minute um, to think about what that story is for you. I'll... Um, I'll tell you one of mine. Uh, I love the, the the kind of legends in England of like Robin Hood and King Arthur. I love those stories. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a complete nerd for them. And um, yeah, ever since I was a boy, I loved Robin Hood and the Disney film I used to watch all the time. And so there are elements in that story that really speak to me. And I think one of the elements that speaks is 
that Robin Hood, if you know that the story is kind of, there's Prince John, who's the bad guy, who's kind of taken over, but there's a king who's um, away uh, from England, uh, King Richard. And so Robin and his, his merry men and those characters are waiting for the king to return. They're waiting uh, in exile, having to leave their homes and go into hiding and fight in a battle. Kind of feels like a spiritual battle sometimes against the forces of evil. And they're waiting for a king to come back. And something that I think resonates with me about that story is we too, today, are waiting for our king to return. We're waiting, longing for our king to come back. And we're holding out an outpost in a very dark, scary world where we're waiting for him to return. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Don't be frightened. But I would love to ask you if anybody, if I could grab that other mic, that would be amazing. Uh, would anybody be willing to share, like, just the name or the title of a story or a film that you go back to again and again? It doesn't have to be very glamorous or, uh, uh, or, or very um, super literary intelligent, but if you've got one, fantastic. Um, the Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Oh, that's amazing. Anyone seen The Book of Eli? It's kind of, is it R-rated? It's a little bit, it's not for kids. But um, that's beautiful. When I saw that film, I didn't know where it was going as well. So the ending, like, totally wrecked me. But um, anyway, I won't ruin it, but I'm worth watching. Any, any others? Anyone like to read books? Okay, fantastic. Let's start here. Dead Poets Society. Oh, Dead Poets. That's Robin Williams, yeah. right? Yeah, Fant- yeah Robin Williams. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen clips. That's a fantastic one. Did we have one back here? Anna Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables, like the, the book or the Netflix show? Both. Both are pretty fun. I spent far too much time watching Netflix. But uh, Okay, any, any, any others? Any last one? Harry Potter. Harry Potter, fantastic. Harry Potter has taken over our culture in the last few years. It's crazy to think about some lady, J.K. Rowling, writing in her apartment day after day and getting so many rejections letters turned into this billion-dollar industry. There's something about that story that connects deeply with so many things in culture. And um, the reason I ask you to think about this, and wear in mind if you've, if you've got one, um, but keep that in your mind as we go. Just pop that there. Um, I'd love to suggest that part of the reasons we love these kind of stories is that there are elements in them which are also found in the greatest story, the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus, the story of the Gospels. And what I mean by that is, have you seen the films The Lord of the Rings? I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan, the books and and, and the movies, I love it. I'm a complete nerd for it. Um, There's a scene in that film where... If you've seen the ends, the last one, Return of the King, and there's like 17 different endings that happen in, in that movie. But one of them is when Aragorn the king is kind of crowned, and he's, 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 the battle is won, um, the victory, uh, good has defeated evil, and he's there, like Gandalf is there, everyone's on the top of Minas Tirith in this beautiful white tower, and it's his coronation ceremony. And he notices in the ceremony that the hobbits are there, the four small guys, who've, who've, two of which have destroyed the ring, who couldn't have won the battle without them. The other two have been instrumental in the political plots of the armies getting there at the right time. And if you know, you, does anyone remember what, what the king says when he sees those hobbits in that crowd? Almost, yeah. He says, and this, if, if I remember correctly, um, The whole crowd is kneeling before him as he rises as the king. And he looks at them and he says, my friends, you bow to no one. 
you bow to no one. And then these, these, these hobbits who are bruised and battered and broken from this journey uh, watch as the entire kingdom of man kneels before them and celebrates them. And they kind of look slightly confused and overwhelmed. And that bit really gets me when I see that in the film because there's something in, you know, and, and, and it's a fantastic story in its own right, but there's something there which echoes the greatest story that echoes that moment at the end of our lives when our king is crowned and our king returns and out of the crowd in the middle of that space he looks at you and says well done my good and faithful servant and boy man that gets me in a <laughs> that gets me in a deep place but there's something so 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 beautiful about these things that we connect with and i think that that's true with kind of that god-shaped whole stuff that people who are not christians have this longing within them as well it's why i think the the, the marvel films are so popular or harry potter because it has these themes um Spoiler alert for the Avengers films, if you haven't seen them already, it's been a few years. But Iron Man, Iron Man dies, right? Uh, he sacrifices himself. I'm so sorry if that's really the film. <laughs> well, you've had a, if you've escaped finding that out, uh, you've, you've done very well so far. But um, So he dies. He sacrifices himself in this kind of heroic uh, sacrifice uh, to defeat the big purple guy whose name is Thanos. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and if you're like me, you know at some point in a future Marvel film, Iron Man is going to come back to life, right? Robert Downey Jr. gets paid far too much to, to do other things probably at this stage. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But you know, something within you knows that he's probably going to come back because that's how stories should go. You know, it's a people, death is something that, that we're not designed for. There's something in us that speaks out and knows that when he does come back, maybe in the next Doctor Strange film, it's going to be great. But some part of us is not going to be too surprised because it's plugging into the theme of the greatest story where when Jesus died, he came back and uh, flipped everything on his head. This is making sense. There's something about these stories, these powerful narratives that, that inform our culture that contains the best bits of them are in the greatest story. And this is what kind of Ephesians um, points at. Ephesians, um, I've got a little picture of, of kind of, do you know the Bible project? Um, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. It might be a little blurry, but you can go and look at this afterwards if you type Ephesians Bible project. And Ephesians is basically split up into uh, two sections. Ephesians says Paul is in prison writing to a community of Christians that he's worked with in, in Acts and he knows. And uh, the first three chapters are kind of like a summary of the greatest story ever told. This is who you are. This is what Jesus means for you. This is what he's done. He's reclaimed you out of death and sin and transformed you into a new way of life and a new way of being uh, full of goodness and healing and truth. And there's so much detail here that we don't have time to go into, but, but I encourage you, it's like six chapters. It's such an easy read. But the second half is about, it takes the story of Jesus, the greatest story, and asks, well, how does this story transform your story? How does the story of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, reshape the story of your life? And there's like a hundred different things you could take out of there. Paul even puts in a list in that if you were somebody who told lies before, this story, the effect it should be having is that you're somebody who's now known for your trustworthiness and your truthfulness. If you're somebody who was stealing, you know, for your generosity and these things that the world values were flipped absolutely on their head. But there's one element I'd really love to zoom into this morning. Um, you probably know this verse, but it's in chapter 5. And it's, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a song, a few songs with that. But have you heard that verse before? 
Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I've included in here another translation. This is from the Message translation, which is kind of like a contemporary English spin. And it says, Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins, Christ will show you the light. There is something about the transformative effect of this story, which is like climbing up out of your coffin, climbing out into death, from death into life. It should have this kind of power and authority that the transformation is you are a completely new human being by encountering and engaging with this story. And uh, not only is this the greatest story ever told, because it has all the elements of the other stories that make them good and popular. Uh, Interesting thing, any secret literary critics in the room? Okay, no one professional at least. Okay, I'm about to give literary critics a hard time, so please forgive me. Um, A lot of those things like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings or the Narnia books, if you love those, um, are not considered to be masterpieces of world literature. And Tolkien and Lewis, uh, who wrote Narnia and Lord of the Rings, had a theory about this. And their theory was that the reason literary critics don't like these works very much is because they don't represent true life. You know, in our stories, good defeats evil. Love wins, and eternal love, people live happily ever after. You know, justice normally comes and corrects injustices. And kind of some school of literary critics will say, Well, that's all very nice, but it's just a fairy tale. It's not how the world works. Open your newspaper. And there's a hundred examples of evil appearing to triumph over good. Um, Those of you who are married will know that marriage is really hard work. All the romantic comedies end when they get married uh, at the end. Those of you who are married know that suddenly your life isn't all bliss and every hole in your heart is fulfilled, and it actually takes a little bit more. Um, I'm going to stop there because Judy's looking at me. So, and okay, so, so, so we're aware that people don't necessarily think that the, the Marvel movies are the best movies that have ever been made, and they're probably there's something right about that, but they're, they're entertaining. And so Tolkien and Lewis ask, they say, well, why do people love them so much? And they say within every single one of us is connecting with these elements of the story, because although that's not how the world is, it's how it should be. It's how it should be. We shouldn't have to say goodbye to our loved ones through death. Good should triumph over evil. And everyone, in, in, in certainly secular or Christian, has within them this longing and this calling, this desire we were singing about. This is not how things should be. This is not how things should be. And you all know that the pain and the horror sometimes that this world brings, you know there are moments in your life that shouldn't have been that way, that are not fair and not good and just. And part of it is that we cry out for the justice to be met, for truth to win, for those good things to happen. And that that mode is, again, their argument, well, this is why these stories are so popular, because within us is this yearning, this calling um, for these to come out. I'd love to share with you another story. Have any of you seen the film The Railway Children or read the book? Some of you have. Um, it's a kind of older film in the 60s, and uh, it's, it's, I think it's a British film maybe, which maybe is why you haven't seen it. But in very short, the, the, the story is um, these, this family is in London. Uh, there's three children, two girls and a, and a boy. The boy's the youngest. And it's like uh, Mary Poppins kind of era, so kind of old, old London. And the father is this amazing dad. 
He buys them presents. He adores his kids. He spends time with them. But his job is he works in the government. And their father um, encounters a uh, conspiracy and some corruption that he tries to expose. And as he tries to expose it, the people who are corrupt lie about him and make up some falsified papers. And they say, they accuse him of selling secrets to the Russian government. And so the father is taken away to prison. And so these children and this family with the mother, who I think, if I remember, is ill as well, uh, have to leave their home in London and go out into the countryside um, and go and they have adventures. And this uh, main character is this girl called Bobby, Roberta, who um, has to grow up really quickly um, and take care of her family. And uh, they, they have these fantastic adventures. But at the end of the book, uh, Bobby, R Roberta, is at the train station and... Uh, she's there, I think, picking up the mail, or she's there for some unexcused reason. And uh, the train comes in from London. And you know, if you know those old kind of steam trains, everything gets full of smoke and steam. And uh, as she's there picking up the mail, she notices in the distance the figure of a man through the smoke. And as the smoke begins to, to clear, she sees that it's her father. Her father's there. And as soon as she recognizes him, she drops everything. And she, she, she runs towards him with open arms, crying, Daddy, my daddy, my daddy is here. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a big, tough, ugly bloke. And there's not much that I have in common with Victorian teenage girls and their fathers. But there's something in that story, which I was you know, rehearsing this, this sermon. I was weeping buckets over, Daddy, my daddy, my daddy's here. And, you know, for those of you who had dads who weren't that great, you, you'll know that, that part of the greatest story is that we have a father who is good and just and kind and loving and strong and disciplined and who will roll around with us on the floor, you know, a roughhousing and still protect us when we need it. And, uh, man, that's a hole in our society's heart as fathers right now, I think. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so Ephesians calls us to wake up to this story. I think uh, if you're like me, uh, I, I, I am not always the perfect Christian. Sometimes I find myself really connected and plugged into this story, particularly when I read books or see films that, that echo it. But day-to-day -day life is quite a powerful force. Um, things get in my way, and usually what I feel on a Sunday morning in worship isn't necessarily how I feel on a Wednesday morning when the kids have woken up two hours early. And I don't know if this resonates, but sometimes you get a sense that there's a, uh, there, there, uh, there's a slide with uh, C.S. Lewis in the background I'd love to show you, because he has a way of expressing this um, called The Shadowlands. Uh, there's a movie which kind of echoes it. But he says, C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books. When he was an atheist, he describes this as being asleep. He just thought there was the world present around him, didn't, wasn't aware of the spiritual truth of Christianity and how it affected his life. And he says, he, uh, when he met Jesus, he began to wake up. But he wasn't fully awake yet, because we're not fully awake. We don't really know everything about our lives and this story until he comes again. So we exist now in this state as Christians, in this place of now and not yet, where he calls the Shadowlands. It's kind of that dreamy place where you're just beginning to wake up. And sometimes in your journey, you're a bit more awake than others when you're connecting with the picture and the story of Jesus. And there's other times when all these distractions and ugly things of the world come, and they try to put you back to sleep. So we're in this constant state of, of tension. I'm glad I see some of you nodding. If that doesn't make any sense, we can just think of it as that a call to wake up in Ephesians is one part of become aware of who you are. Remember who you are. Remember your place. And Ephesians has got some real 
specific instructions for how that story transforms your life. But there's something it can't include, which is the unique and individual part of that story, which is your role. There's some collective things. You're built to worship God, to love God, love your neighbors as you love yourself. But there's some unique and specific things to each and every one of you that how God has made you, which is a critical part of that plan that nobody else can fill, that nobody else can do. It's the part that no one else has trained for, no one else was knit together in their mother's womb for, and it's specific and unique to you. And so part of our ways of keeping awake to this story and to this reality is by learning who we are, learning about ourselves. What are your passions? What are your interests? What are the things that God has put into you? I've found, um, I read this in a secular business book the other day, but it was an exercise talking about your life task. Um, forgive the phrase, but uh, it was saying, uh, you know, if you're just trying to make money in business, um, you know, that's all well and good, but that's probably not what's going to drive you to be a really successful business person. Um, I'm not a business person, so please don't take any business advice uh, if, from, from what I'm saying. But it was saying um, what you need to connect with is your life task. What are the th- what's the thing about you which you think you're in this world for? Um, maybe it's something creative. Maybe it's helping, fixing, healing people. But whatever it is, that's what you need to plug into. That's what's going to drive you. And it said, it was a kind of an interesting tool. It said to connect with what that is, if you don't know already, is the author was saying, talk to people who knew you as a small child and ask them, what were the things you did as a small child that you could have done all day? The things that you loved. Um, like maybe it was painting or art. I meet so many people who are afraid to paint because the world has told them they were bad at it. Um, and it's like kind of just trying to interrupt in that story of, of your story. What's the bits before the world got in and, and kind of ruined or made you feel stupid about that, that are, are real passions that might be hidden underneath? Um, so it's where it might be worth thinking about, you know, if you can ask that. I asked my parents this one and they gave me a list of TV shows I like to watch. <laughs> I was like, thanks, I'm not quite sure watching TV is, is, is my life's task as much as I'd like it to be. But, um, and I'm not sure I should have been watching that much TV at that age. But anyway, but uh, they had some other things too. But it's just an interesting thought to, to connect if you don't know what, what that is. Um, okay. So let me give you another example of this. I know that that my calling, part of my unique role, is to be a father to Victoria and James. And I have an image in my head. If I read the Bible and I worship, I connect with that picture of my heavenly father, of the perfect father, of Roberta's dad, of Mufasa in The Lion King, who's strong and brave and all those things, and who teaches me. And that's who I want to be. When I hear stories like that, I'm like, that's who I want to be for my kids. I'm training to be a therapist. Half of my industry is funded by fathers who haven't done it quite right. Um, that's a therapist joke, don't worry. But, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but when it comes to actually spending time with my children, I, I realized um, there was something kind of distracting me from fulfilling that, that, that role for them. You know, I'm quite aware that everything I do as a father is currently writing in my children's hearts the image of fatherhood. Um, I'm probably going to find a therapist one day for them to talk about all that I got wrong. But um, So, so I, I want to be the, the, the Mufasa, the strong and the brave, but actually there are plenty of things drawing me back asleep, and one of them is this fantastic black box that I've paid to carry around in my pocket. 
Um, I love technology, and I think it can be used for good or for evil, but I, I found myself absorbed on um, a website of, of funny pictures of memes, and um, just, uh, just little things, you know, that, that you might have, might have seen. I, I actually made some, but I got too embarrassed to show you, so <laughs> next time. Um, one was like, a, you know, the, the Boromir meme of him, like, with his hand on his head, face palm, and it read, when the British guy stands up to preach at church. Um, <laughs> anyway, but... Um, and um, so I found, uh, I had to, had to, long story short, I had to check myself, and I was realizing I might spend an hour looking at this website, and these things are so fantastically designed. Go to um, Facebook or something, you know the infinite scroll that you can just, and there's been so many millions of dollars of research into what is going to hook your, your brain into these things, um, like the fact that there, there is no end to the page. If you read a newspaper article, it will have an end. And uh, you can kind of then think, okay, I'll move on to the next thing. Or a chapter in a book. Often if you read at night, you end finish a chapter. But here, it's just a little psychological trick that it never ends. You can spend hours and hours. And again, social media, the best example I heard was to think of it like alcohol. In that you can enjoy it really responsibly. But there is some dangerous path it can lead you down to all kinds of identity and addiction issues. And it's probably not a good idea to give your 13-year-old the keys to the liquor cabinet. Um, anyway, we can happy to have pushback on that one. But, but it's an interesting uh, conversation. Um, it's something me and Judy, with different ideas about social media, had to work out how we do with our, with our kids. And it's, it's, it's you know, so prevalent amongst younger generations. And um, so I found myself... Um, Instead of being Mufasa, instead of being that, that great dad, uh, the guy, I was becoming the father who sits in his chair on his phone and puts the TV on for the kids. And that's not the image I want them to have. But it wasn't like that was a deliberate and conscious thing I was doing. It was a, oh my gosh, it's so early and I've had no sleep the last few weeks. And, you know, me and Judy have fought about this the other, so I'm annoyed. I just need a break. I just need a break. And, um... That's a fantastic excuse. And I happen to be pretty expert at giving myself excuses for these kind of things. And um, again, it's not that looking at your phone is something terribly evil, but it's, it's what are the things in your life that are putting you to sleep because they're out there and they're highly researched and highly money-making. Um, here's a scary uh, story. I spoke to an app developer once, some fr- friends of ours. He wasn't a Christian. And I was asking him about, you know, like those little games you can get Candy Crush or like the puzzle games, and there's like, oh, you can spend $4 for some green gems that will make your um, candy crushing even more efficient, or, or, you know, some of you know those things. And I was asking him, I was saying, how does that anyone make money on that? Because I get maybe a few people will put money in, I just tend to play them for free, I hate the idea of giving money to anybody that I don't have to, which is my own thing. Um, but, um, and he told me, this terrified me, he said, oh, how it works is you'll notice on the the packages you can buy, there'll always be one at the end, which is like $150 for 800 gems or something. And he said, how the business model works is we send this app out to maybe 100,000 people, and for one in every 100,000, there'll be a, a whale, W-H-A-L-E. We're fishing for whales. These one in 100,000 people that will pour all of their savings into this app, who will occasionally steal from their workplaces to fund this addiction. And it sounds, sounds bizarre, and hopefully that is really a crazy idea to some of you, but there are people out there, you can look at news stories, who get into pits of debt over these funny little psychologically manipulative tools. So it's like, enjoy Candy Crush if that's what you do, or whatever it is, but be aware that there are things pulling on your attention. 
There are things trying to put you back to sleep. So I'd love you to imagine for a moment what your life would be like if you were nearly awake to God's plan for you. If you were in that, in, in that high place in the shadow lines, if you were connected every single day with that great story, what would be different about your life? You know, for me, I want my kids to be proud of me as a dad. I want them to be showing off at school. Look what my dad did today. I don't want them to be joining in the conversation or he couldn't get off his phone or he wasn't that interested. There's such potential as parents to, um, well, you, you know what potential there is for parents to, to make mistakes. And we don't have to be perfect, but I want to be like my heavenly father. And the more I think about that image, the more I plug into that, the more I read about it in the Bible, the more I, more I engage with like the Bible project or something, all those stories and those films that remind me of great fathers, the closer I am to being inspired uh, to spend time properly with my, with my kids. Um, I'm very grateful to have children, and those of you kids know that it's not always easy. But I'm extremely grateful, and they're, they're two wonderful kids. I'll probably tell you a thousand stories of my failures at it, which I'll save for another time. But um, So... What I'd love to ask you to do now um, is I'd love to invite you to stand and to stand up if you're comfortable. And just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and maybe prompt to us in this space what the things are that are putting us to sleep in our life. And, you know, maybe sometimes... Often when I was preparing this, I thought about uh, sometimes guilt and shame can be an indicator that something's not quite right. But something really important about that is guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt doesn't come from God because the effect of guilt and shame is to make you hide things away. And um, I had this picture of uh, Father God when, when he has in, in one hand you and your failings and your sin. And that picture of Ollie on the recliner was glued to my phone. He has in his other hand the image of his beloved son Jesus on the cross dying uh, and, and, and being tortured in pain and when he looks at those two things you know he takes the Ollie who's failed as a parent and goes that doesn't match up to this I paid to come back when you've got something that might come close to my son on that cross you know so sh- sh- guilt is, is a good indication something's wrong but it's also a pathway into, into hiding these things um, so what I'd love to invite you to do is to close your eyes if you're comfortable. And if you want, you can put your arms in front of you uh, like this, um, just as a sign of gesture of openness and receiving. And we're going to pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our good, good Father. I thank you, Lord, that you are truth and justice that the way you designed the world is that good triumphs over evil. And we are sorry for our failures in meaning up to your standard. I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're here right now. I just ask, Father God, you know, for us in the quiet space, if there is anything that we need to let go of, in our lives, any distractions, any things that are pulling us away that we might not even realize from the truth of the greatest story. Just in a few moments, just let God speak if there might be something that comes to your mind or an image or a picture.
about what that might be. So Father God, we pray repentance over those things. I pray the name of Jesus over everyone here that you would break free from the chains of distraction, of sleepiness. I pray you would pour into our hearts something new and fresh. And now as we turn from those things that pull us away, now ask God to show you what are the things in your life that draw you closer to his plan and his story for you. What is it that helps you make that connection, that plugs you into that great story and that image of that great Heavenly Father? For those of us with broken father images, whose dads were not necessarily the greatest dads in the world, but some of them were pretty terrible, I know. Just have a sense that God wants to fill that place in your heart this morning. That you do have a father that loves and cares for you. peace and the blessings of your spirit upon us this morning and just those things that he's prompted you in maybe they're worth writing down and thinking about at some point this week you know and shake off the guilt and know that he's calling you to fill that place in his heart the uh, the u-shaped hole in his heart he is so desperate for you and he needs you and wants you and loves you and nobody else can do your part in his plan so i pray these blessings over you in the name of jesus christ his son